at the very beginning of our Bible, we have the Jewish story of creation. The Jewish people were not unique in world history for having a creation narrative. We can't be 100% sure... Oops, excuse me. I'm kicking the camera. We can't be 100% sure when the story came about, but one prominent theory is that after being passed down orally for generations, it was finally written down at the time of the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians also had a creation story. They looked to the ancient Mesopotamian narrative known as the Enuma Elish. You can go look it up and read it if you would like to. Uh, but in short, there's this war between the old gods and the young gods, and the god Marduk kills his mother, and out of her eyes flows the Tigris and the Euphrates. And from her corpse, he creates the heavens and the earth. This is a story that says, in essence, it is through power, dominance, and violence that creation exists, and through which order is brought to creation. In the Hebrew story... God speaks and brings life. He lovingly brings order to pre-existing chaos, not by forcing it into submission, but through speaking. The text says the spirit of the Lord hovers over the waters. The Hebrew word for hover here is literally to move, to hover or brood gently over something while cherishing it, like a mother hen over her baby chicks. It is very likely that the Hebrews were well aware of this Babylonian story, and as they were crafting and writing theirs down, they did it in part as a response. This is a new moment in human history, and it asks the question, what do we believe is the engine that drives and orders creation? Is it a hierarchy of power, dominance, and violence, or is it one of gentle, protecting love? More often than not, humanity has opted for the creation myth of power and violence, and our civilizations and societies have reflected that. When we are confronted with a new story, it is not enough to simply believe it. We must begin to unlearn our old stories. In the story of the Exodus, we see that Pharaoh has ordered his society in the same old way, using violence, power, force, slave labor to build his homes, his monuments, his wealth. And the gods and the people of Egypt condone this violent hierarchy. It's, it is just the way the world is. It's how everything is supposed to be. But the slaves cry out, and this new kind of god hears and responds to the voices of the oppressed that society has treated as less than human. He rescues them. He brings them out of the culture that had oppressed them. Moses goes to meet God on Mount Sinai, where he receives the Ten Commandments, and as he comes down back to the people, he finds they had created an idol to worship. I don't think this is simply a story of the Israelites being wicked or just stupid, but this is what they knew. They had lived their whole lives in a culture where that's just what you did. It was the only way they had known for how the world works. And even when that world had oppressed them and God had acted to save them from it, they are unable to understand because they have not unlearned the stories that they have always heard. And so they wander the desert for 40 years. Not just as punishment from an angry and vengeful God, but to purge themselves of the oppressive cultures that they had always been a part of. Because you can't enter the promised land and build a new society based on the ways of the old. 
I really think this is one of the major themes of the Bible. It's not one that we tend to talk about on Sunday mornings. But repeatedly, the Bible tells the story of humans and our, our relation to power, setting up oppressive ways of life, and God insisting that there is another way. In Matthew 18, the disciples come to Jesus and ask, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They are operating under that same old notion of power. When your power comes, which of us will be the most powerful? And Jesus responds by placing a child among them and saying, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus takes their worldly cultural understanding of what power is and flips it on its head. You may have heard this term, the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, used in regards to passages like this before, the idea being that all the ways that kingdoms are supposed to work, Jesus does the opposite. He flips them on their heads. I actually would argue that throughout human history, we have oriented ourselves and our societies on that old creation myth of power, dominance, and violence, turning God's creation upside down, and Jesus is turning it right side up again. Every single human, all of us, are born into a society, growing up in a culture that shapes and defines every aspect of how we understand the world to work. How things like money, dealing with the other, family, the list could go on, how all of these things work. Our entire understanding of life is seen through the lens of the kingdom we grew up in. Jesus says to enter the kingdom of heaven, we quite literally have to become like little children. We must be born into this new right-side-up kingdom and completely relearn how the world works. This isn't just a new way to be in the world, but instead we are being shown that there is a completely different way that the world is even ordered. And to begin to enter into these new kingdom understandings, it often isn't enough to just learn new ways to live, but we must begin to unlearn and dismantle the old oppressive ways. So, there are two areas that I want us to focus in on a little bit more. Uh, American Christianity has been very good at pinpointing different behavioral patterns, we could maybe call them sin patterns, that we need to address and change and come out of. Things like lust, greed, addiction. I'm sure you can think of more things along those lines that we usually talk about. But we have normally not done a good job at identifying the places where our identities as citizens of America clash with our identities as citizens of the kingdom of God. And more often than not, we have done the opposite, conflating our American policies, culture, and values with those of Jesus. At best, this is a misunderstanding. At worst, it is idolatry. I think it is imperative for us as followers of Jesus to begin going down that long road of unlearning the cultures we grew up in and relearning the right-side-up culture of Jesus. We are going to, I don't know how we're going to do it yet through email or Facebook, but we are going to send out a list of resources, different books and podcasts and things that have been helpful in this regard, so be on the lookout for that. Great places to start learning more about this. 
but for now let's focus a little bit in a little bit more we are living in a moment when a huge proportion of our population is crying out trying to tell us something is wrong that for many of them their lives have been in danger and have not mattered because of the color of their skin and in fact this is not just a result of some people not liking other people's skin color but this is a result of a 400-year history of how the powers of the world have treated this particular group of people. What we are seeing right now is not a it, excuse me, what we are seeing right now is a response to another human being in a long line of human beings being killed because of disproportionate violence and force targeted at this group of people. People are saying black lives matter because we have just witnessed extreme behavior that says the opposite. I'm going just for posterity's sake, and maybe it will be helpful just to be honest and transparent. Whenever I first heard the phrase Black Lives Matter years ago, my gut response was to say, well, yeah, but all lives matter. It's not helpful to try and separate us. If perhaps that is something you can relate to, maybe that's where you find yourself or people around you, I would just like to say that I have learned since then. Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that all lives don't. It isn't saying that black lives matter more than others, but rather that black lives have not been treated with the same degree of justice and their lives deserve to be protected just like everyone else. Their lives matter too. I've seen many Christians both here in our town across the nation in our world respond to what's happening by saying all lives matter i just want to say if you truly believe all lives matter you protest more and fight back when when black lives are taken if you want to say all lives matter i would ask you to prove it in case we miss it we are currently being told very loudly that our systems are reflecting the old oppressive dominant systems that jesus came to replace for many, if not all of us, these systems are so deeply ingrained, it can be difficult and even painful to begin to identify and see them. It's not enough to be a person with good intentions or to personally not have prejudice or racism in ourselves. Even the best people who blissfully exist in harmful structures are bound to perpetuate that harm those structures can cause. If we pay close attention, this is what we see in the story of King David. He begins as a young man, a fairly innocent shepherd who helps defeat the Philistines and finds himself king. He's known as a man after God's own heart. He wants to build God a temple, a home to dwell in, and God tells him he can't because he has shed blood. The last story we get of King David in the beginning of 1 Kings, he is on his deathbed telling his son Solomon who he must systematically hunt down and kill in order to consolidate his power and to take over the throne. Solomon acts on these instructions. He even eventually builds God that temple, but the accounts tell us he uses forced labor to do so, enslaved people. The abusive cycle of power exemplified in the ways of Pharaoh and Egypt have come full circle, and the oppressed have become the oppressors. Even the best among us, full of good intentions, can find ourselves clinging to the old structures and ways of organizing life and power that we are being called to leave behind. 
one of the things that I have found helpful in all of this, and this is probably a phrase that some of us have heard, uh, <clears throat> but to help understand my relationship to these things and my complicity in them, is not thinking of myself as no longer racist or being post-racist, but rather learning to be anti-racist. This is going to be a vast simplification, but being anti-racist means we are examining ourselves. We are being honest with ourselves. And when we are confronted with racism in us or the systems around us, we are doing the work to dismantle that racism in our hearts, in our families, our laws, our economics, our entertainment, our shared governing of our world, how we fund the governing of that world, wherever it might be. This can be difficult, as I've said, and part of the reason I think it can be so difficult for so many of us is because it forces us to look at ourselves in the mirror. It forces us to examine our societies and structures, structures that we often love and have made us feel safe. Often we've lived a lifetime being told and believing this version of life is the best version, and anything that threatens it is immediately met with fear and anger. Many of us have friends or family whose lives are tied up in these things, so to question them can be painful. But, my friends, that is part of what it means to enter the kingdom of God. We must do the hard work of identifying and unlearning our roles and the systems that hold people in oppression. We must leave the ways of Egypt behind. The kingdom of Jesus is not of this world, and to enter it, we must become like little children, unlearning our kingdoms and relearning this new one. If any of the stuff that I have been saying so far this morning has brought up any sort of negative gut reaction, I would just encourage us to not dismiss it, but rather sit with it, think about it. Especially in matters of race, I would encourage us to listen to people who are different from us. Listen to black voices and let them inform us on what is currently happening in our country. If those of us who are white have strong opinions on racial justice and they are at odds with what the majority of our black brothers and sisters are telling us, we need to humbly sit down and begin at least to listen. As I mentioned, we're going to be sending out an email or something with different resources, and there will be resources uh, also not only with dealing with things like nationalism, but also with race. So if you are feeling overwhelmed and don't know where to begin, those are going to be some great places to start. I'm going to go ahead and just leave us with a quote, an excerpt from a speech that uh, Martin Luther King gave towards the end of his life entitled Beyond Vietnam, and it's actually going to be in the resources. You can read it, or you can listen to it, or watch it, or whatever, even though it's about Vietnam, and that is not our current situation anymore. There is a lot of great stuff in it, well worth your time. Um, so I'll just read this little bit, and then we will call it a morning. But it kind of sums up this idea that we've been talking about so far. A true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will be only an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. 
it comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. I'm going to go ahead and I guess I'll just pray for us real quick. And then we'll see from everyone else and say goodbye and wrap us up this morning. Father, as always, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we can be people who can be a part of that, who can be a part of building your kingdom, not, for, not only for those who look like us and live in our cities and our towns and our country, but for the entire world. May we be doing the work to enter your kingdom and to come alongside what you are doing to put things right. Amen.